Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ash Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about breakup speech. Uh, I know that sounds very exciting, but it is still tech policy related. Don't get too excited. That's the beginning of an essay name uh, that recently was published with the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University. The full name is The Breakup Speech Can Antitrust Fix the Relationship Between Platforms and Free Speech Values? One of the authors, Neil Chilson, is with us today to talk about it. Neil is a Senior Research Fellow for Technology and Innovation at the Charles Koch Institute slash Stand Together. Uh, Previously, Neil served as Acting Chief Technologist at the Federal Trade Commission and as an Attorney Advisor for FTC Commissioner Maureen Olhausen. Neil, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. So the tension between antitrust and free speech and platform regulation is not something new. Uh, It's been in the news and it's been discussed for quite a few years now. The most recent one would be on May 16th, uh, which is about a week ago. Uh, President Trump tweeted, the radical left is in total command and control of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Google. The administration is working to remedy this illegal situation. Stay tuned and send names and events. Um, The problem that Tech Freedom has seen with that statement is that the First Amendment bars politicians from remedying what they see as political bias of private companies. Uh, We've written letters about it. We've written analysis of that. Using antitrust as political weapon um, obviously is extremely worrying, and we are grappling with that question every day as we analyze these issues. And your paper kind of does dig into that correlation between the two. So I want to give you the platform, so to speak, <laughs> to walk us through the analysis and the research you guys did and what the findings you had. So let's start at the beginning. Um, why do you think you obviously had experience at the FTC uh, before joining the think tank policy world, before joining the policy world? And so how do you see that antitrust tension coming into play? Well, I, I think you're right that the um... The tension between antitrust and free speech, and I should say, I wouldn't characterize the tension between those two, but the idea that we're going to use antitrust as a tool to solve all sorts of problems, potentially including problems around uh, bias on platforms, has been one that's uh, gotten a lot of press recently. And um, surprisingly, it's a pretty bipartisan set of complaints here. Um, You mentioned Donald Trump's recent tweet, and given the volume of uh, the cons- the complaints from those uh, from conservatives about bias on these platforms, I bet that isn't even the last um, major conservative voice to to voice such a complaint, uh, even though that was only a week ago. But there is a you know there is a countervailing set of complaints on on the left, and so it's it's a it's a bit ironic that the president says the left is in control of these platforms because I think there's a lot of people on the left who are really concerned about content that the platforms leave up. And so what we're seeing, and it's a, it's a bit of an overstatement to say it, but but what we observed in, in digging into some of these complaints was that uh, you know the right of center concerns tend to be that platforms take down too much of our content and the left of center concerns tend to be that platforms don't take and take take down enough uh, right of center content. And so there really is this 
you know, lobbying effort, I would say, to, uh, against the platforms to try to get them to reflect the views of, you know, what what are ultimately, you know, not quite centrist views of the American people. And so I think the platforms in trying to balance these two interest groups are really struggling with how to how to make everybody happy. Um, you know, they deal with billions and billions of pieces of content a day and uh, there's, I don't care what your politics are, you can find an instance of your content not getting promoted or not being able to be advertised or something like that, just because there's such a, a large volume of, of content that's going on uh, and that's uh, being reviewed. Now, having said that, 99.9% .9 of the stuff that's posted on these platforms stays up. And so even, even of the vast majority of people's uh, content is there. And so these platforms have provided quite a uh, platform for speech, including for conservatives. So I'll, what's the connection to antitrust? Well, the connection is one of uh, convenience, I think, for those who have concerns about the platforms and uh, they are right, looking so around. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking so around me, for a powerful tool. Let me stop tool. you for sure. a second, because yeah. I think for our audience, which is a wide audience with different backgrounds and experiences, the jump sometimes, at least to me, doesn't even make like a logical connection in some sense. Right. So we say, OK, we have a problem. Um, I just hit the table, so I'm going to redo that sentence. Um, so we say, OK, we have a problem with how platforms moderate and we think it's unfairly preferring, let's say, hypothetically, one political side to the other. And then we say, that's why we need to break them up. That's why we need to use antitrust tools uh, against them. Um, I'm just confused. And so as we go into my confusion and explore it, um, do you mind uh, walking our listeners through, well, what are these antitrust tools in general? Like what is antitrust? Um, how does it get uh, enforced usually? What, what are we even talking about in this situation? Right. So I, I think the um, the argument, I think, on those who would use antitrust is that somehow there is a lack of competition in the market and therefore um, not everybody is happy. And that if there was sufficient competition in the market, that all views would be expressed and people would be able to to speak their minds uh, as they wanted. And so the argument is, therefore, we must break up these companies to solve it. Um, Antitrust is focused on a set of problems around consumer welfare. How, uh, when we look at companies' behaviors, it can be very hard. You know, uh, when when companies are competing against each other, um, the competitors are not happy often in that situation when they lose to a competing company, and so. The question that antitrust enforcers have long faced is how do we determine a competitor that is making its a company that's making its competitors unhappy uh, fairly versus those who are making their competitors unhappy unfairly? And ultimately, the where antitrust law has settled uh, is that we are going to judge whether a competitor's behavior is good or bad by its ultimate effects on the consumer, since that is who we ultimately care about in the competitive marketplace. We care about what are the benefits that these companies are ultimately bringing to consumers. So if one company's low prices are benefiting consumers, 
we find that to be fine that you know it might be forcing another company to scramble that's a healthy kind of competition but if for example two companies are getting together and they're raising their prices um, and they're harming not only their competitors but they're harming consumers by raising those prices we would say that's an anti-competitive practice no yeah and so those are the that's the metric by which we judge these competition tool uh, effects and the antitrust enforcers they look at these types of questions under a number of different situations but the two big ones are essentially uh, mergers when two companies want to merge uh, the antitrust authorities will review that merger to see what the future effects of that might be for consumers uh, or they'll look at specific conduct that a company is doing uh, on its own uh, and how or maybe in conjunction with other competitors and it will look at conduct problems to see um, if if they are harming consumer welfare and when the antitrust authorities find that a company is violating the law, the antitrust laws under either of these sets of circumstances, uh, they'll bring cases or they won't approve, approve a merger. And so those are the basic tools the enforcers use. But ultimately, the, the metric that the courts have applied is whether or not consumers are better or worse off with this practice in the marketplace. Right. And one um, curious thing that I think is very important to mention is that the competition in the technology space is completely different in its nature because these platforms are not providing really identical services or even similar services. And often the purpose of why users use a certain platform and the type of users that use a certain platform is different, right? So you have people using Facebook for one thing and then using Twitter for another. Twitter is usually more political discourse and dark thoughts that you've come up with while sitting in your apartment or something. Um, and uh, then Facebook is more about family connections, connections with people you've met along uh, the way in your life, classmates, things like that. Instagram has become more of a huge machine of advertising in a sense, right? Uh, lifestyle, uh, travel, all these areas in which certain users have become, you know, advertisers in themselves or created their own brands for that. I keep using the word advertisers. I'm not an ad uh, lawyer, full disclosure, so please do not come for me. But you know what I mean? Like Instagram is used as like this multi-billion platform where, I mean, I've bought stuff that like I've seen on other people, like not ads, but like I've seen someone wear something and tag it. And I was like, that looks really cute. I like that, whatever that is. Right. So my point is these platforms provide such different type of experiences. And then you have Google. I mean, and you have Google and you have YouTube as part of Google. Can you truly say that what YouTube does and Twitter does is similar? Absolutely not. So my question is, with these tech companies and the competition space, how do even people who want to break them up, uh, how do they even measure how consumers would be affected if the way the market is defined and the way the consumers are, are using these platforms is different? Well, honestly, um, we don't know. The, the people who are talking about using antitrust as a tool to solve bias have been extremely vague in what their actual solutions would be. 
Um, what would they do? It's much more of a slogan at this point uh, and a rallying cry than it is a, um, a proposed solution. So while in some other areas of antitrust, uh, there have been more detailed concerns and well, more detailed proposals, I would say the people who are talking about these bias issues or these free speech issues and antitrust, they really just haven't offered anything that suggests how breaking up these companies would solve it. And in fact, in our paper, we go in, we go through um, some really good arguments, I, we think, you know, obviously, uh, for why we think breaking them up would actually make some of these problems more difficult. Um, one thing we know about speech on the internet is that uh, it's very often that the smaller sites are where, um, you know, to put it nicely, less mainstream ideas are are, are fostered early, and and that those often migrate to the big platforms because people want to find uh, the largest audience that they can. And so the question, because of the sort of network effects that happen in the social media space, breaking up these companies would not remove the desire to be on the bigger platforms. Uh, what it would do would artificially force uh, uh, a sort of inefficient market around platforms. And, and it, it's hard to imagine how you would even break such things up. I mean, would you have a sort of regional Facebook, like, you know, Facebook South and then Facebook like Northeast or something? It, uh, or would you have like split off different services? And that to your point is, uh, you know, suggests like if Facebook and Instagram weren't together anymore, would the moderation policies of those two companies really be that different anyways? Um, maybe they would evolve slightly differently. And we have seen that companies do are doing different things with their moderation policies. Um, you know, Twitter's not running political ads, whereas Facebook is. And so we have variation right now that's happening as, as the various platforms try to figure out how to best serve their customers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's not clear how breaking up these companies would solve the problem. And honestly, the reason that is, is because it's not a result of a lack of competition. There's this sort of misperception that anytime a consumer is unhappy, it must be because there's a lack of competition. Uh, but that's a really simplistic view of what competition brings. Competition doesn't mean every single consumer is going to be happy. Uh, in fact, there's there's just some things that, uh, you know, consumers value a lot of different things. Some consumers value certain types of speech online. That might be one of the ways that they rate a platform, but they also care a lot about convenience and they certainly care about price. And so um, those can be competing concerns. And so if you, if you look at a marketplace and you say, well, there's no, there, there's some consumers who aren't perfectly happy, therefore there must be a lack of competition. I think that just misunderstands what competition is for. Um, and in particular around free expression, as I pointed out, there's really polar opposing views at, on the sort of fringes of each of the, the, the right and the left about what these platforms should look like. And as we argue in the paper, this is kind of like saying that, you know, Pepsi and Coke uh, you know, people who like Pepsi and people who like Coke are arguing over like what soda has to be provided to everybody. You can't make a soda that's going to make both avid pep 
Pepsi lovers and avid Coke lovers um, happy because they want they just want fundamentally different things. And and that's not because there's a lack of competition. That's because what they want is diametrically opposed. And so uh, so we can't look at the fact that, you know, this isn't that not everybody is satisfied and say that means there's a lack of competition. That's just not true. Right. And that makes complete sense to me. And I hope our listeners will read your essay that we're going to link to in the show notes. To wrap this up, can we talk about the consequences if this horrible idea actually goes through? Who would be affected? Would the economy be affected? Would free speech be affected? How? Um, Obviously, predicting something of this, uh, you know, huge importance and would have a great effect on everything is hard, but what would be kind of your analysis of that? Well, yeah. So I think first off, breaking up these companies wouldn't solve the bias concerns or the sort of hate speech concerns. That's kind of the more the label that the left puts on it for some of the reasons that we talked about earlier. Uh, It would also essentially elevate platforms that are not based in the U S uh, you know, give them a competitive advantage. Platforms like, you know, TikTok, um, which may not have the same free speech values that many of the, the platforms in the U.S. have, or at least be raised in the sort of culture of the U.S. free speech values. So there's a disadvantage there. I mean, I think the bigger threat is that using antitrust law in this way to achieve a political goal or a goal that isn't directly associated with um, you know, economic measures of consumer welfare, uh, it it makes antitrust into a much more political tool. And in the past, when antitrust has been used as a political tool, um, it's been it's been wielded uh, specifically to restrict free speech. So we have some great stories in the uh, the paper about uh, how Nixon used the threat of antitrust action against broadcasters to get them to do all sorts of things uh, positively covering his administration and even his daughter's wedding. Um, And, you know, Johnson threatened to hold up a merger of a a bank because the president of that bank ran a Houston newspaper that was very critical of him. And surprise, surprise, that paper suddenly started writing positive news articles about the, the Johnson administration. And so um, we have all these historic examples of antitrust being politicized to, you know, restrict free speech, to uh, harm the ability of people to speak. And right now we're in an era where, you know, it's easier than it ever has been for uh, an average person to get a platform among, uh, uh, in front of millions or even billions of people. And if we politicize antitrust, I think we we risk not only harming free speech, but also harming, you know, the, the competitive environment more generally. And uh, that's that's not a good that's not a good move. It wouldn't be good for free speech. It wouldn't be good for consumers. And ultimately, it wouldn't be good for the U.S. economy. Well, I think that's a very good prediction on what might happen, even though it's a very sad future that I hope we won't have. Um Neil, thank you so much for joining the show. We hope to have you back uh, to talk about all the other wonderful work you do and research you do on privacy and other questions. 
Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and review. I know you have the time right now. I know you have those two minutes to give us a review, hopefully a positive one, and it will mean a lot to me. Please do it. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.